Father, we all come as sinners in need of you. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your grace, Father, that abounds to us. Oh, Father, as we think of prayer, too often we feel guilty because we know that we don't pray enough. Or maybe that we should pray differently. Father, the passage this morning, sometimes called the Lord's Prayers, or one that we are so familiar with. But Father, we ask that you would speak through me. And Father, that you would use your word to speak to us. And Father, may our hearts be able to put aside things that we came in with. Lord, just to rest in you. We just thank you and praise you, God, for your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Little Johnny was excited. He was reaching six years old real soon. His mother was in the kitchen. He decided this was a good time to let her know what he wanted for his birthday. He went into the kitchen where she was cooking and said, Mom, I want a bike for my birthday. I want a red bike. And his mother, on the other hand, as she listened, she thought, this is a great opportunity to bring before Johnny his behavior. You see, Johnny this past year had been somewhat of a pest to his little sister. He had been called down in school. And so she asked him, Johnny, do you think that you deserve a bike? And his quick response was, oh yes, mother, I deserve a new bike, a red bike. She said, well, I'll tell you what, son. Go upstairs to your bedroom, reflect, pray, and write a letter to God. And tell him why you deserve this red bike. So Johnny stomped upstairs, upset. He got upstairs and he wrote his first letter. Dear God, I've been a very good boy this year. I would like a bike. I would like a red bike. Signed, your friend Johnny. He hadn't written it very long until he realized that he hadn't really been a very good boy. So he tore that letter up and wrote a second letter. He said, Dear Lord, I've been an okay kid this past year. I want a bike. I want that red bike. Signed, your friend Johnny. He barely finished writing it and he realized he hadn't been an okay kid this past year. So he took the second letter and started the third one. Okay, God, I haven't been a very good kid this year, but if you'll give me this red bike, that'll be good. Signed, your friend Johnny. In his heart, he knew he couldn't get this beyond God. He knew that God knew that that wouldn't happen. 
Something clicked in his mind. He ran downstairs to his mom and said, Mom, I want to go to church. Mom thought, ah, it's working. He's listening to me. He said, be back before lunch. So he ran to the little corner church, looked around, crept in down to the altar, made sure no one was watching him. He grabbed a little small altar, a small little Virgin Mary statue, stuck it under his shirt, He ran back to the house, ran upstairs to his bedroom. He wrote a letter. Dear God, I've got your mama. <laughs> if you ever want to see her again, give me that red bike. Signed, you know who. Well, we can laugh at little Johnny, but too often little Johnny is us. We want things from God. Sometimes we want wrong things from God. Well, as Pastor Eric said, we're starting a new series. The Lord teaches us to pray, in which we look at some of the Lord's prayers. Today we'll be looking at that familiar passage we all know so well, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer, in Matthew 6. If you want, just go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We'll just we'll park there and stay in chapter 6 today. But before we look at the prayer, let's kind of put the prayer in context. The prayer is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Christ uh, was teaching for a long, long time. It's chapters 5 through 10. In chapter 5, Christ calls for a, a higher righteousness. He says, I, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, just before the prayer, Christ gives the disciples two ways not to pray. Two ways not to pray. Verse 5, it says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the Pharisees, some verses would say, who love to be seen. See, the Pharisee was more concerned about himself, how he looked before people. He wasn't concerned about God, yet God wants us to be obsessed with him. Verse 7, second way, Christ says that we should not pray is like the pagans or the heathen. Do not heap up empty phrases like Gentiles. One version says, don't babble on and on. Another version says, don't use vain repetition. The key is, I think, improper motivation doesn't please God. He looks at our hearts. He looks at our hearts. He longs for us to seek him with hearts that are righteous before him. And he demands a righteousness that's different from what the Pharisees had. After telling the disciples how not to pray, Christ then gives us a model, primarily in verses 9 through 13 and then later in 14 and 15. He says, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Before we look at these requests, I want us to, to look at how 
God is addressed. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. He doesn't say, my Father in heaven. I think Western Christianity so often we, we have this mindset that, and it's true, we need to trust Christ individually. We can't do it as a church. But there's that mindset sometimes that Christianity is individual. We can't do it alone. We need the body of Christ. And if you look at this prayer, it doesn't just say, our Father, but it also says, our sins, our daily bread. God is reminding us that we need each other. A second observation about Father, the term, although there, there, there was some writing uh, talking of God as Father back in the first century with Judaism, it's very rare. D.A. Carson says that, that the disciples, when they heard they to address him as, as Father, that they were probably shot. It was stunning. It was uh, exceptional. It was virtually uh, unparalleled in that time period. I think we're all familiar with the word Abba, that Aramaic word that uh, is father there. And, and, and some would say that, that Abba is just as uh, intimate as my daddy. Most would say it's probably not quite as intimate, but far more intimate than, than, than father. In the Old Testament, father is used 14 times regarding God. And it's always used as father of the nation of Israel. The New Testament introduces a new perspective about God as father. It's no longer a, a national thing, it's an individual thing. The word father occurs 17 times just in the Sermon on the Mount. 17. 14 times in the Old Testament as father of the nation. 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. Over 70 times, Christ uses the Father in the Gospels. Ephesians 1 says that as we go to our Father in heaven, that we need to remember that we're adopted. We're adopted into his family. He is our Father. Compare that again to the Old Testament. One priest, once a year, with a sacrifice, would enter into the Holy of Holies. And before he entered in, the other priest would tie on him a rope with bells. Just in case the priest did something in the Holy of Holies that was wrong and was struck dead, they could drag him out. We as Christians should consider that we have access to a God who is a most loving Father. I know that Psalms is here today didn't have a loving father. But God is a loving father, a personal father, a powerful father. He's not cruel. He's not an autocrat. He's, he's not a drunkard. He's not a playboy, as some of you have had as a father. We as Christians have a father. We are adopted into his family. About 20 years ago, Chris, my wife's Sister, Vicki, and her husband, Derek, adopted Yemi from the nation of 
Columbia. Yimmy's a special needs child. She couldn't, uh, can't hear. She'd been tossed around by the time she was five or six years old um, everywhere. When she was born, her mom had placed her in a home. The mom kept her for a short time. Then they gave her to an orphanage. And from there, to foster care. And finally, Chris's sister, Vicki, and her husband, Derek Wolf, flew down and adopted her. Yimmy had no birth certificate. They just gave her January 1st because they had no birth certificate. Yimmy had no language. She had no home. She had no food. She had no place of safety. She had abuse. Once she was adopted, Chris's sister has a master's in hearing impaired education, and so she taught her language. But along the way, once she was in the home, when they would sit down to eat, Yimmy would just shove food down rapidly. And finally, we were able to communicate. Vicky said, Yimmy, why do you do that? She said, so I can make sure I can get enough to eat? Because she hadn't had that. Of course, Vicky told her, slow down, there's plenty of food to eat. And she learned to do that. A few years later, Vicky and Derek bought a new house. And they noticed as they were signing the papers in the home that Yimmy was very upset. So they asked her, what's wrong, Yimmy? Yimmy thought that she was being given up because over the years, when she moved from an orphanage to foster home to a foster home, and even when she was adopted, they signed papers. Yimmy was told by her mom and dad, we love you dearly. You're moving to the new home with us. Well, Yimmy graduated from a special needs high school and is in a special program now. Yimmy knows now that she's a part of the Wolf family. She's one of three children. Yimmy and Adam and Mary Lynn. And they are together a family. She knows she's going to be provided for. She knows she's loved unconditionally. Do you and I know that we're adopted as believers into God's family? Do we trust Him? Or do we eat our food rapidly as Jimmy did? When things happen that we aren't planned on, when things look to go one way, do we rush and think that we're being deserted? God longs for us as Father to trust Him. Well, a third observation before we move on to the petitions. It says, Our Father is in heaven. He's in heaven. There's that intimacy, and yet that balance we need to know as we go to our Father in heaven is He is the creator of the universe. He is, he is God. He is high and lifted up. Our culture loves to use the word awesome. We sang earlier today a song about God being awesome. Yesterday, I just happened to look at my wife Kristen's shampoo, and it said something about 
awesome volume. <laughs> Our culture has lost the impact of who God is. And so as we go, as we go to our Father in prayer, remember He is our Father. He's our Daddy, if you want to use that. Our Papa. But He's also God. He's also God. He combines that fatherly love with heavenly power. Well, now look at that first petition on the prayer request. Hallowed be your name. As we approach God, we remember that God is hallowed, that He is set apart. He is holy. He is unique. He is different from anyone else. What does it mean to hallow God's name? What does it mean that God's name be hallowed? I love what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, God's name is hallowed when our lives and our theology are Christian. God's name is hallowed when we walk according to God's word. We might pray a prayer like this. Father, let me live in such a way today that my life reflects you. In my work, in my business, in my family, in my neighbors, may they see Christ in me. An example of God's name not being hallowed, we can go back to Israel, to Ezekiel, God had called the nation of Israel to be a light, yet they dishonored him. They brought dishonor on God's name. Ezekiel 36 says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it is for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. God will not be associated with the sin of his people, and he'll either save us or he'll judge us. God is jealous for his name and to protect it. Most of you know I grew up in Alabama. I grew up in a family of eight kids. We didn't have a lot of money. Mom and dad worked full-time jobs, had a farm on the side. But mom made sure we had good food to eat. She always made sure we had good quality clothes. And back then, clothes would be pressed. Our shoes were shined. We had a name in school. Those Edmonds boys' shoes shined. <laughs> now, I had brothers of older, there was my twin brother, my sister, and my brother's two years older. We were kind of like the second set. So these other ones were older. And, and they would tell us often, remember, remember Ralph, you are in Edmonds. If somehow I know we fail to live up to the Edmonds name, you can be sure that they came to me or to Roger and said, Edmonds, don't do that. <laughs> 
Edmonds don't do that. Well, I'm off to college, university, during the summer and during breaks. My dad was a county commissioner, so I was able to work for the county. And, and as a college student, I didn't really care a whole lot about how my shoes looked. I was painting. My dad was in and out of the county courthouse, and so one day he saw me, and he saw my shoes, and they had some holes in them, and I still remember my dad coming up to me, and he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, Son, do you have any better shoes than those? <laughs> he says, If you don't, I'll buy you a pair. He wasn't, he wasn't upset. He was very gentle, very loving. And then at the end he said, Son, people know me, and they know you. You reflect me. The last quarter in university days, I was getting a degree in business administration. My brother worked for a huge um, industrial painting firm in uh, the southeast U.S., and I was working with him to take over the management of the southeast uh, U.S. office. And one day, again, being in college, I went to work. I didn't shave. I thought it was no big deal. Hey, college. <laughs> my brother Jimmy stopped me in my tracks. He said, Ralph, you work for me. You reflect me. Shave. Yes, sir. Well, later on, we started our own firm. And this is what we named the company. Edmonds Industrial Coatings Incorporated. Now, my brothers had a name. They had a name. They were quality in their work. They did excellence. Plant managers, engineers, you name it. If they wanted work done, they wanted done well, those Edmonds, they were the ones They had that name. Quality work for a good price. They made sure that those employees were working and doing good work. My family and I were concerned for the Edmonds name. Not necessarily bad. My question for me and my question for you this morning is, are we concerned? This concerned for God's name. Are we hallowing his name? Do I bring disgrace to God's name by my conversations, by my actions, by my lifestyle? Hallowed be thy name. First petition. Second petition, I've kind of put together second and third, uh, that kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. I've put together as God's plan. But I look at this, thy kingdom come, what is the kingdom of God? Sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, especially in Matthew. Kingdom of God, what, what is that? And then, what does it mean to pray God's kingdom come? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that if we're a Christian, the kingdom of God lives within us. 
because the king has come to live through his Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is this saving reign and rule. In one sense, as I said, exists in every believer, but will ultimately arrive in the future when Christ returns. The Pharisees one time were trying to get Christ and um, to answer some questions, and one of them was, tell us about this kingdom of God you're always talking about. And Christ said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. But when people say, here's the kingdom of God, or there's the kingdom of God, it is in the midst of you. So first, it's in our hearts. Secondly, the kingdom of God will be consummated when Christ returns to establish his earthly millennial rule of 1,000 years. We know passages in Isaiah that talk about this. The wolf shall dwell with a lamb. The leopard shall lie down with a baby goat. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Then comes the end. When he delivers, I'm not Christ, when Christ delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority. So when we talk about the kingdom of God and it coming, there are two phases. He lives within us. But one day, Christ will rule and reign here on earth. How do we pray that God's kingdom might come? There's an old book, there's a book rather of, of Puritan prayers called The Vision of the Value of Vision. In one of them, I've taken, I've taken the freedom to change the these and the vowels and some of these words so we can better understand. But I think this should be the passion that we pray for God's kingdom to come. Father, set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify yourself, and I shall rejoice. For to bring glory to your name is my sole desire. I adore that you are God, and long that others should know it, and feel it, and rejoice in it. Let sinners be brought to you for your name. Lord, use me as you desire, but promote your cause. Let thy kingdom come. Do not do bring in great numbers for Jesus. Help me to reach many people for you. Let me be willing to die for your cause to that end. As I said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in, as in heaven. The kind of the plan of God. And maybe that will be done on earth as in heaven would kind of maybe expand or specify more about that kingdom. But I love what Richard Baxter, who's a great pilgrim, pilgrim thinker and writer, <clears throat> Baxter says, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. Which translated today might be, Lord, Whatever you want, wherever you want it, 
whenever you want it. Best thing to God, my life is yours, Lord. My life is yours. I will do whatever you ask. Go wherever you want. Whenever you want. Trusting that Romans 12, that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. Of course, obeying God's word and being in his will doesn't mean that it's not without difficulty. There'll be times as we're in the center of God's will and we'll face difficulty. It will be hard. I love what Chris's mom and dad used to say. You're in the safest and best place when you're in God's will. Well, we've seen that God is a personal, loving, and powerful God. And when we pray to him, we should focus on him and his concerns first. His name, his kingdom, his will. And Christ then instructs us to present both our spiritual and our physical needs to him. Isn't it easy for us when things are going well to think that we did a good job? Is my hard work in my great mind, in my wonderful personality, in my strength, that got me what I am. But Deuteronomy 8, 17 says, to the nation of Israel, says, getting ready to go in, says, you may say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth. But remember, the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So what needs do we pray for? First, we pray for God's provision. And the passage there says, give us our daily bread. And I think daily bread goes far beyond just bread. It goes beyond food. Martin Luther says, daily bread is everything necessary for preservation, preservation of this life, food, clothing, good health, intelligence, um, friendships, home, wife, good government, peace. So we go to God for our sustenance daily. Daily. It's that regular day in and day out of going to God. It's kind of a reminder of us, for us, isn't it, of the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness and daily they had to trust that God would provide manna. Daily. Daily. It's a day-to-day dependence for us. I've talked with many over the past year as we've gone through this economy with you know, spiraling downward, people losing jobs. And over and over I've heard them say, Pastor Ralph, in the midst of this hard hard time God has been so good he's provided sometimes I haven't known how it's going to come about but God's provided he wants us to trust him day by day again asking for for God's provision physically doesn't mean we're not to work it simply means that we're ultimately depending on him and his provision. Well, the second request for us as disciples is that our sins might be forgiven. 
so that sins might be forgiven. Verse 12 reads, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 14 and 15 kind of add on, kind of expand and open up this. It can be kind of controversial at times. Um, for if you forgive others their trespasses or their sins or their debts, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. We're to ask God to forgive us of our sins. I don't think that there's many, if any, evangelicals that would think would say that that means that if you and I don't forgive somebody that we're going to lose our salvation and in our relationship with God. Uh, I think more than anything is when we don't forgive, it's evidence that we've never been forgiven. parable in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant who was given much. You can look and you find, I looked at evangelical websites yesterday just checking the, the, the value of these amounts, but this guy at, at Biola University, I went there so I, I'll take them for the word, said possibly seven million, but some said three and a half, not million, billion, seven billion. Some said three and a half billion that this unforgiving servant um, owed and was forgiven but in turn went and put someone who owed him 12000 in jail. I, I think what this passage is saying is, if we're truly forgiven, we will forgive. We will forgive. Several years ago, many of you know that Chris and I had a contract working on our house. And he left us with the walls open. Horrible situation. I can't begin to tell you the anger and the bitterness that I had. People, I didn't want to forgive him. Someone joked and said, well, I can uh, get someone, I've got connections. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. Get <laughs> him up a little bit. It's hard sometimes to forgive. It's hard to forgive. I've been hurt by people I love. And most of you have been hurt by people that you love. It's hard to forgive. We want to see them suffer a little bit, if we're honest. More than a little. (laughs) Forgiveness. We all need it. What Christ is saying here is... There's no way that we could ever pay back what we owe God. Never. Because we've been forgiven so much, we to forgive those who have hurt us or who have wronged us. We're after asking for provision of our physical needs and for pardoning of our sins. Christ then says that we're to ask God for protection in the midst of spiritual warfare. God's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I think maybe the NIV may have it more accurate here. Deliver us from the evil one. Because you see, we live in a world and there is a Satan. And Satan does want to destroy. And as God tests us, he wants to turn that into a temptation toward evil. We need protection from this evil one. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as a model. Distinct from the prayers of the Pharisees and the pagans, it's an alternative to those false prayers. The error of the Pharisee was the selfishness being seen. The error of the pagan was this mindless babbling on and on. Our prayers to God should be focused on him first. His name, his kingdom, his will. And we're to go to him to express intelligently thoughtful dependence on, on God. And after we prayed for God's name and for his kingdom and for his will, we're to ask God to meet our needs, our physical needs, forgiveness of our sins, protection from the evil one. I love how Dr. David Jeremiah in one of his books kind of summed it all up. He says, how can you say our if your religion has no room for others and their needs? How can I say Father if I've never been born again and adopted as his child? the shed blood of Jesus Christ how can you say who are in heaven if your interest and priorities are here on earth how can I say hallowed be thy name if I'm unwilling to give up my independence and accept the righteous reign of God can you say thy will be done if you're not willing or if you're resentful of having to relinquish your agendas, can I say on earth, as is in heaven, if I'm not ready to give myself to service for him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that we as believers have been adopted into your family, Father, we can know that you care, that you know our needs, and that you care for us, and that you love us, and you provide for them. We pray, Father, that our heart desire would be to see people come to Christ, that we might impact those around us through our commitment to you. Help us to be the salt and the light that impacts those around us. Amen.